Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Once Bitten podcast, the first one I'm dropping since returning from Prague at BTC Prague on Twitter. They put together the brothers, Matthias and Martin, who are both uh, Czech Republic residents, put together an amazing, amazing conference with such a small team. Five plebs, I believe, put this show on and it was incredible and i hope everybody gets a chance to get to a conference this year because we talk about the social layer of bitcoin being layer zero and when you go and actually meet bitcoiners that is when you start to believe in that narrative because it's not propaganda when you meet people who are just like you you cannot describe that feeling and i got to meet some incredible guys people i'd been talking to for many many years never even seen in real life when when Hodlinaut comes up to you and says Daniel I just wanted to come over and say hi and introduce myself and it's Hodlinaut and you have no idea you pro I mean damn man thanks for coming over mate thanks for doing everything that you're doing and uh, it's I, I, I sincerely hope that we get to see more people coming out to these conferences because the difference that these people have made in my life is probably yours as well is uh, is so huge so please don't take this lightly get get to a conference um meet your people orange pill app you know you can do that that is growing every single day i met so many people at the conference that are using it and it has helped them meet bitcoiners in their local jurisdiction or even get along to events that they had no idea even existed you can list events for free on that site and find pure signal so get over to Orange Pill app and get that done. And look out for any other conferences. We've got uh, Riga by Hoddle Hoddle. They're putting that on in September. You can use the code BITTEN at checkout for 10% off there. And Liberty in our lifetime, which is not purely Bitcoin focused. It's freedom focused. It's parallel structures. That's put on by the Free Cities Foundation. They had a booth there at the Bitcoin conference. They're doing great work. Tim is running, Mr. Timothy Allen is running a podcast there. Go check that out. Free Cities Foundation podcast. And Peter Young is heading that up with, alongside Titus Gable for the Liberty in Our Lifetime conference in Prague, mid-October. Get your tickets. Use code BITTEN for a 10% discount. Now, please make sure you're stacking sats because if you're not, you're missing out. Still cheap, perennially cheap sats for sale. How can you do it? Use Bitcoin only companies. In the US, you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. That will get you a free 10 bucks. You can get in touch directly with the team if you need help. If you are a high net worth individual and you are looking to put on $100,000 worth of Bitcoin position and more. Or if you need uh, to switch over your retirement funds. We have the same service in and across Europe. Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash Bitten and use the code Bitten when you're downloading that app. Just get to work straight away. Download these apps and get going. Um, Relay also offer Swan Private, 
and Swan, uh, excuse me, Relay Private and Relay for Business as well. You can get directly in touch with the team there who are going to hold your hand through all of the technical stuff if you need that help. CoinCorner.com, based out of the Isle of Man, where you can use their exchange service across the UK and across Europe as well and link your account to your app and your bolt card or now my bolt ring you know you can you can link all of these NFC devices to your coin corner account and uh, withdraw up to 50 pounds a day with lightning or pay at uh, those businesses that have been brave enough to accept Bitcoin uh, which is um, also you know a great way to start growing communities getting out there and orange pilling your merchants hodl hodl have you covered for your kyc free sats a global peer-to-peer trading and lending platform head across to hodl hodl to do your own research on the lending and see if that is something that you are going to be looking further into when bitcoin moons and you are trying to move yourself into a bitcoin standard wasabiwallet.io is a great place to start learning about coinjoin Lots of educational resources on there. You can download your first wallet. When you're removing Satoshis from these apps and exchanges, run them through a CoinJoin first before putting them onto a Bitbox O2. Bitbox have rebranded. I've got a new link to shill. Bitbox.swiss forward slash Bitten. Just find it in the show notes. That will take you straight through and check out with Bitten. That code will get you 5% off. Have you seen mempool.space? These guys are doing a great job. They also had a booth in Prague, a great way to orange pill people, educational tool. Head over to mempool.space to see and learn more. I've run out of music there. I was riffing on the conference. I'm still on a high. But here is Michelle, just a pleb, to talk about Bitcoin. All right, we're recording, Michelle. Great to meet you. It's great to meet you too. And, uh, I'm excited well, Lauren, to talk to you and Lauren. Yeah, I was going to say, Lauren's here and she's she's excited to ask the first question, one of her favorite questions. Um, So what is your favorite thing about Bitcoin? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I think that my favorite thing about Bitcoin is that it equalizes access for everybody across the world. So I've been to over 40 countries and all of those countries operate really differently in terms of the financial structure and the services that people have access to. And in a lot of places outside of the Western world, those services are based on, you know, your role in society, the family you're born into. um, And Bitcoin sort of annihilates that. So I think that's my favorite thing is that it's banking. I think, you know, 8 billion people on the planet don't have access to banking. And with Bitcoin, they can access almost any financial service that they need instantly. Yeah. Yeah. Great answer. Yeah. It's the perfect What's answer. What's your favorite thing about Bitcoin? Um, I I like meeting the Bitcoiners because most of them yeah. are out of the um they're out of the mind of, you know, um I have to work all this, I have to work all day kind of thing. And they get yeah. kind of like really fun and nice. And cool. yeah. No, no, Lauren, they're toxic and they hate women. <laughs> Don't really. believe that. Just remember that. Whenever you meet another Bitcoiner at all the conferences we're going to go to this year. <laughs> all those guys you're going to meet are toxic. Are you guys coming toxic. to Miami? Yes, we are. 
Warren, are you going to come with your dad? Yeah, and with my sister and brother. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Maybe we can get together. Yeah, hopefully. Sounds awesome. Well, yeah. you'll know you'll know where to find her. She's going to be uh, helping Saifedean sell some books. Oh, cool. Okay, that'll so be great. Wherever wherever Saifedean's booth is, um, yeah. go, go say hi. Uh, Caitlin, okay. my oldest daughter, and and Lauren are going to be helping out. Uh, okay. And, uh, uh, so cool. I will definitely come a, by. A work experience, as well as a um, uh, a, a leisure experience. Mm. Yeah. What do you a want to say? A little bit cultural as well. Yes, yeah. for sure. <laughs> now, do you want to say good night? And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Good night. I'll see you in Miami. Yeah. See you. Then. Well, Michelle, uh, great to great to meet you, and we've had this set up for a little while. Uh, yeah. The, the reason I reached out uh, originally, as you know, uh, but the listeners won't know, is you you came out of absolutely nowhere with a fire thread a, a fire <laughs> a fire thread about um how bitcoin's changed your whole worldview completely upside down yeah. and you were very it, it, impressively open with uh with your wording of of that tweet thread and i think it's about eight eight thread um eight uh, tweets long yeah, but I think that's correct. I'll I'll ask you to to read it out for for full effect, okay. so the people listening okay. that might not have seen it uh, can actually hear it from your own mouth and from your own mind. So, right, you know, I appreciate don't, that. Don't be afraid huh? to rub some rub some stank on it and, uh, and do your thing. <laughs> yeah, so this is essentially a summary of it, and uh, I will say, since I put that out there publicly, everything else has changed as well. I was still. Before I did that, I still had some marketing clients and um, I am no longer working with them because our values do not align in any way. So I've sort of moved all of my business to Bitcoiners and Bitcoin related products. Um, but OK, so the thread is about how I, as you know, how I got into Bitcoin and kind of what was happening that Orange filled me pretty hard and fast. Um, so the tweet that's post or the pin thread is my Bitcoin story. In 2016, I was living in Dubai and I got recruited into foreign direct investment to work as a global marketing director. My time in foreign direct investment and economic development was short, but the lessons that I learned changed my life. FDI is a very large part of the ecosystem that surrounds the World Economic Forum and their agenda. And what didn't fit in there is that I actually had no idea what the World Economic Forum was. I mean, I grew up working in tech and worked for a bunch of tech startups. That's actually what I was doing in Dubai. And so I knew nothing about global politics or even what foreign direct investment was. Um, so I got recruited into this role. I became a the global director of marketing for this company that works in FDI. And I was working with, for and with a lot of people who regularly attended Davos. Um, and it, it became very quickly, very obvious that their whole lives revolved around this group um, that ran Davos and either 
getting an invitation or making sure that they secured an invitation for the following year. And almost everything that we did revolved around that and keeping those people happy. Um, so I traveled extensively to high-level conferences and meetings spanning 20 countries on four continents. I spent a lot of time in China. I was given a literal seat at the table to the economic corruption running rampant in every corner of the globe. But at every conference that I attended, there was somebody in a corner whispering about something called Bitcoin. At the same time that I was being initiated into the inner realms of global economic corruption, a small light was being shown onto the solution. I knew from my time in tech that the quiet person whispering in a corner, especially in a room full of people who want nothing but to be heard, is normally the smartest person in the room. So I started listening. In July 2017, I set up a Google alert for both Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I read every single thing that came to my inbox. And at that time, it was like three or four emails a day. There was not a lot of news that was going on in the mainstream news. At some point, I had to toggle those alerts from individual alerts to daily digests. I continue to read and receive those to this day. In 2018, I left my job and the world of foreign direct investment. In 2019, I moved to Florida and started a small consulting company, and then 2020 hit. I wasn't sure if I wanted to speak publicly about the things that I'd learned, and I wasn't sure if anyone would even believe me. But then I came back to Bitcoin, and I knew that Bitcoiners were seeing what I had seen, and it wasn't a secret anymore. I wasn't alone. Bitcoin is a sovereign state of 150 million people. Bitcoin has saved me twice, first financially and then through freedom and hope. Now let's fucking go is the way you Now let's it. fucking go. Yeah, that's the last one. <laughs> yes. Uh, and what a what a way to, to burst onto the scene. And I think you posted that. Well, yeah, the date's here. 3rd of May, 2022. Yeah. So yeah, lurking, was... lurking for five years. Uh, or do you... Uh... Yeah, I had been... Well, so I was living in Dubai and I was working a lot in China. So, I mean, I didn't even have Twitter on my phone. I had no idea what was happening, like this whole Bitcoin Twitter thing. Um, everything that I did, I was just doing research by myself on the internet. And then when I came back in 2018, you know, I was start I started a marketing consulting company. I had some stuff going on in my personal life and I just wasn't really involved. I had kind of been trading shit coins converted everything. I had, you know, I cashed some money out, bought a house, um, put everything into Bitcoin and just kind of sat there and was not, you know, really involved in the ecosystem. I was on, I started to get on Twitter about a year ago anonymously. And then after the conference last year, I decided that I just wasn't going to keep pretending anymore. What made and that so click? That's where the thread what 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 because that's something that definitely happened over the last 18 months where where yeah. gyms switched their not their strategy that's not the right word um thinking i suppose and and Croesus is a brilliant example of that because he'd been writing right. for a long time under a pseudonymous name and then all of a sudden bam i'm jesse myers here i am let's fucking right go. right <laughs> um I think, you know, there were several things. It wasn't, 
I think COVID was definitely a large part of it. Um, so when I came back to the States, I moved down to Florida, having no idea what that would mean, you know, within a year. Um, so, and my, my sort of viewpoint of how of how I watched COVID spread across the world was really unique too because I have all of these friends and colleagues started it started watching it in China and thought oh shit this is gonna come here I mean this is something I saw what they were doing and I knew that the seriousness with which they were treating it meant that something was gonna happen whether it you know was all by design or it was an accident is a separate conversation but I knew that that was not going to be contained and then one of my best friends who has lived in China for since 2005 left and basically sent out a message and said, it is not safe. Like if you're a foreigner, you cannot be in China right now. And he unfortunately has a girlfriend in Italy. So he went to Italy. And so I watched COVID go from China to Italy. Mm. And then you could just see that it was going to start spreading. Um, and watching that and watching all the restrictions that were put in place, um, you know, I became very concerned that that was going to happen in the U.S. And everyone told me that I was absolutely insane. Um, but what I'd seen, so when I came back in 2018, it was a really different world than when I'd left. Um, there was Trump hysteria. Everything on the news was constant, like breaking news. And it was just a totally different world. And to me, there was no question that what was happening everywhere else was going to happen here. And the resistance that I got from people was just astronomical. Like people were like, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. If you think that they are going to lock us down here the way that they locked China down. And then, of course, it happened. Um, and so that was the first biggest thing is watching that happen um especially after having lived for several years in countries where that was just accepted and then so I came back ready to be like free and mm -hmm. then the authoritarian you know rule sort set in here and, and Florida got off um, easy so that was the really we did. We got off easy. Um, but I was, you know, watching everything else that was happening. And and mm. even in Florida, I mean, they did close businesses for a little while. And there were, you know, vaccine mandates and and it got kind of put back in check. But even in Florida, which was sort of the last free place in the country, um, you know, there were things happening. And so I had a couple of marketing consulting clients when I came back to the States. I was doing consulting and um they were really bought into COVID and the mainstream narrative and um, all of that. And so as those relationships developed, I found myself like lying more and more and just pretending like, oh yeah, it's, it's so great that we're locking everyone in their houses to keep people safe, which I just thought was astronomically insane. But you know, you had to kind of go along with it, sort of. And I did for a little while. Um, and then I just got pushed to a point where I couldn't 
pretend anymore that it was acceptable or that I thought that there was any common sense in it. So I wound down the clients that I was working for. And um, at that point is when I switched to the Twitter account that is my name and just figured, I think these people know what's going on. So I'm going <laughs> to engage with these people. So what what I find interesting is you you were clearly uh, a very young lady when you moved across to Dubai, uh, and probably so. Seen... I am much older than you think I am, though. Oh, okay. Um, I'm about to turn forty now. Right. So I was in my early thirties. I went to Dubai for the first time in 2014. So I was like 31 or 32, which okay. admittedly is not that old, but a little bit older than people generally assume. Right. Okay. Well, uh, you're wearing it very well. Uh, Thank <laughs> <so>. you. <laughs> uh, single Bitcoiners out there, take note. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you go into the conference, I believe. But uh, you might I be married. Be at the conference. So. <laughs> yeah. Just don't join Orange Pill app. It's, it's a dating app that you don't want to be any part <laughs> of. <laughs> I might. I might be. Yeah, okay. It might, it might already be there, but yeah. Well, let, let's back it up a little bit because you you obviously studied uh, something in college which had to do with business or marketing or something uh, which set you up for clearly what many would see as the golden ticket to go and work in a place like Dubai for like a huge global company. So yeah, how did that all transpire? What was that kind of journey? Sure. Um, so I think I, my background was actually in computer science um, and I had a really strong computer science background when I was first through high school and then first in college. Um, I didn't end up finishing a degree in computer science because I was one of 11 girls in a five-year program and it was just not, you know, I was 19 and I wanted friends and to party and I didn't think I didn't want to sit at the computer all day every day um, which of course is what we all ended up doing anyways mm -hmm. so I left that and kind of jumped around uh, I ended up in a marketing program and then an international and I have a degree in international business um, which is also interesting to look back because at the time that I was in school I mean, they were still writing textbooks about case studies, like Walmart had just gone abroad and this was sort of a new concept. So my career kind of developed as all of these big international conglomerates like moved across the world. Um, but because I had the background in computer science, uh, my first job was with an ISP and it was super tech nerdy. Um, and I got out of there as quickly as I could. And I ended up working for a, a tech startup. And that's how I ended up in Dubai is, you know, once you get in the tech startup space, you're sort of jumping from project to project. And so I had just left a big, I had been in a big role for several years. And that co company got bought by, did you guys have Groupon over there? Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. So I worked at Living Social, which was like second to market behind Groupon. Um, but we were, you know, we raised $200 million from Amazon. So we were chasing them hard and fast. But um, 
once that kind of, once we ran out of money from that, um, I wow. left and started traveling and I had a friend that was over in Dubai and I really wanted to go see it. I had never been to Asia. I figured if I was over there, it'd be a lot easier to get over to Asia. So I went over and spent some time over there and I was like, I'm going to move here. Um, and I ended up about a year later in 2015, I moved over there. I met some people that were working at an incubator, a tech incubator over there, um, and spent some time consulting with Kareem, which was a rideshare company, and they were working to get developed, to get uh, ultimately acquired by Uber, which they did. Um, so I worked on that team for a while, and that's what I was doing when I got recruited into FDI, All right. which like I said, I knew absolutely nothing. I was Googling what does FDI stand yeah. for. Um, was this a classic headhunting so, call that came out of nowhere? No, it, yeah, okay. it was not. So um, the story really, and I debated putting this in the, in the Twitter, Twitter thread, but it just took up too many characters. Um, the full story actually starts uh, on a rooftop in Bangkok, which like makes all it best even stories more interesting. <laughs> yeah, they're like all good stories. It starts on a rooftop in Bangkok. Um, I was in Thailand visiting a friend and they were at a, he was attending a conference for economic free zones. Another thing I knew absolutely nothing about. So it was like a the World Free Zone Association is headquartered in Dubai, and they are an international nonprofit that, you know, uh, works to advance international free zones. Um, and so I was at this conference just hanging out, and we're all we're all at dinner afterwards. And one of the confer conference sponsors was the CEO of this company that is involved in the ecosystem. They do research marketing, they host events, um, and just sort of facilitate business within foreign direct investment and high-level economic development. Um, so I thought, all right, I mean, this sounds cool. Sure, why not? You know, it seems impressive. And uh, I ended up taking the job and it didn't take too long for me to start to figure out that it was really all like everybody was just full of it. And it was all really dishonest, everything that they did. Um, uh, in fact, I'll never forget that uh, the bio that they wrote about me, which I have never posted. I have some screenshots of. They wrote this bio about me when they hired me and they really embellished the bio. And I'll never forget my mom called me and she was like, what is this? Did you tell them this? Like, it says I have a master's degree and that I was like, you know, a partner in some like women's international business thing. And I didn't tell them any of that. And then I told them like, well, why did you guys write this? Like, none of this is true. And they're like, well, it's going to make you look really good. And so that's going to make us look really good. Like, yeah, but it's not true. Huh. And so in retrospect, it's like, that's how it all works. I mean, it is just all a lie and it's all it's like an old boys club they all you know they all know each other you go to conferences and I went to MIPM I don't know if you're familiar with MIPM in France 
No. It's like the largest real estate conference in the world. Um, so we would go there to drum up business and, you know, Qatar, Bogota, China, any anywhere you went, you saw the same people and realized that they were just doing business amongst themselves and sort of traveling around the world, doing whatever they want within these free trade zones. So I think the free trade zones are something that don't get, they don't get any attention because nobody knows that they exist. Um, but like 20% of the world's global trade is done through economic free zones. And if you're doing business within those zones, you don't have to follow any of the laws or the rules. You don't have to do anything. You don't have like all of this, all of the politics that are in place that people think there's controls in place for this and there's rules about that. None of those apply in the free zones. And that is where everybody's operating out of. Um, and, and Dubai is a shining example, right? The the economic free absolutely. zone in Dubai, which yes, they, is like uh, it's like a, a small square mile or something, perhaps even smaller. Yeah. Um, yes. All to get around this idea of Sharia law. Uh, yes. So, oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there, they are the shining example, and I, and I think that's why you know the world. I think it's the World Economic Free Zone Organization. It's some, it's like the UN of free zones. They're based in Dubai, and it's it's really well organized there. I mean, they've got, I think DMCC and uh, the Jebel Ali Free Zones are the two largest, and so they've got um, like themes, sort of. If you're doing anything tech related, you're going to do business here, and if you're doing art and textiles, it's all done, you know, with DMCC and. So it's really, really well organized, um, and they are heavily involved in the ecosystem all around the world and influencing how the zones are set up in other places and the rules that get put in place and the rules that get thrown out the window. What are some so, of these other free trade zones that we would never have heard of? Well, they they exist everywhere. I mean, there's free trade zones. There was a huge conference every year in Qatar. We would go to Qatar and there's a hundred people, somebody from, you know, a hundred different countries being represented and they're doing international business with no rules. Um, the U.S. has, I think the U.S. has like 5,000 free trade zones. Don't quote me on that. The, there's a bunch of them that are here. Um, the, the more corrupt the country generally the more economic free zones they have and China has recently I think China so China has decided to test out their involvement and they have like they've only got like five or six of them um but they opened their first free trade zone I think it was in 2018 and so they're they're all over um mm -hmm. So this is a tough one for Bitcoiners, right? Because we're all about open free markets and Austrian economics. Right. And so you would imagine that we would embrace the idea of an economic free trade zone. But I have right. a sneaky suspicion these are fucked up. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and this is a difficult challenge for me because especially 
it's sort of twofold. I mean, the first is like you said, yeah, you want to embrace that and just say there shouldn't be any rules and who gives a shit and whatever. But I think, and I think that most Bitcoiners would agree, you know, the problem is really within the dishonesty. So the country as a nation state has laws and sanctions and whatever they are calling them. And then they're disregarding them entirely. Mm -hmm. And so is there an That's entrance really fee as well? Is there like a really onerous entrance fee that you have to pay to get into the or or some kind of golden handshake that you have to make? So it's very expensive. There's very, yeah. So right, there's okay. both. There there are always fees involved. Um, and they're, you know, they're not inexpensive. Dubai actually brags about having the most accessible free zones because they want to attract the economic investment. And I think. Now they did just change this, but previously it was about a $20,000 investment to start up what is the equivalent of an LLC, but that only allows one employee. Um, so as an as a sole individual contractor, um, you would have to set up business in one of the free zones and sort of in order to do any sort of business. Um, and they have since relaxed those rules because they're trying to draw more people in. But the more corrupt you know if you go over to qatar you go down to colombia panama um you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get in the room to have the meeting to talk about what kind of business can be done um so there's a lot of back room deals being done and then also influence for major decisions like i think i was still working in FDI when Amazon was talking about opening up their second headquarters. Um, and so that was a really interesting conversation to watch happening sort of behind the scenes. Because, again, it's all, like you said, golden handshakes and who's at what meeting and who's trying to impress who and who has their invite to the World Economic Forum and can I come as your guest and it's yeah. it's pretty mind-blowing i mean i spent years processing this and trying to decide like is anybody even going to believe this shit because it's hard for me to believe and i was there and who bought the most expensive bottle of champagne or box of cigars or caviar yes. to, as a gift oh, it's ridiculous absolutely. yeah yeah there's i mean there's private clubs in shanghai you know, where they do meetings and it, there's bars in Qatar that you have to, you know, have the right driver to get to and then the right passport to get into. And it, it's, it's insane. And if you're not able to gain access to those really elite gatherings, you're not doing business. You're just not involved in the conversation. And so. a more sordid side of the story is as well when these when these zones get set up, they've got to they've got to come out of the gates. They've got to build. They've got to go very very quickly. And I saw yeah. this sitting in my office in in Singapore when they started developing and um, uh, increasing the size of the central business district, the CBD. Right. I'd be looking down at I don't know easily thousands of primarily Bangladeshi workers 
that were working mm-hmm. 12 hour shifts and they would switch yeah. those 12 hour shifts into their, their, their living quarters were uh, shipping containers, which were yeah, hot beds, basically. So you you had a bed for 12 hours a day and another dude had a bed for 12 hours a day. Right. And they were building. And there were probably eight of them per shipping container, maybe 12. Probably 12. Yeah. And yeah. they were building. It was incredible. Like to, to watch it from an engineering prospect. I would turn around one day. Oh, and like, yeah. They just built a floor. Guys, they right. just built a floor in a day. Like, is anybody right. watching this? This is this is completely nuts, uh, but completely inhumane. Uh, and of course, yeah, um, you know the Qatar World Cup um, that that's exposed. Oh, that was on. a mess. It's really, really sordid. What in, in, it in, is in Singapore, in Dubai, in Hong yeah. Kong, in Qatar, in Saudi, in I'm guessing um azerbaijan because where the hell did that country come oh, yeah. from exploding onto the front right. of one scene you're like mm, all right okay right right yeah yeah formula one in yeah oh well it's funny because i can tell you where they came from that all the uh construction contractors all the guys doing the major bids in the uae and the gulf region um so they're just bidding, you know, they're all desperate to get the jobs in Abu Dhabi, Azerbaijan, uh, Saudi. You've seen the development happening in Saudi. I mean, Saudi's a whole different world than it since it since even when I was over there. When I was over there, they, they were still not issuing visas to single women. So I never got to go to Saudi. Um, but that has changed. I, you know, in 2018, they changed a bunch of laws and and all of that changed. But the building is definitely, I get asked about this a lot, you know, how can you live there? And it's like, well, I can't solve all the world's problems, but um, I think it creates even more of a stark contrast between what's happening, not only within the rest of the, in these countries for the regular citizens, but it's sort of creates an even larger divide between what's happening in the at the top tier within the free zones and then at the bottom in the shipping containers and the people that they're importing to build the infrastructure and you know manage the growth what's really one of the most and i learned again about this in singapore in my time there um i can't remember who told me this somebody who must have been close to the construction company maybe a cement importer i can't remember a guy i'd met uh, was saying that these companies, when they're uh, requesting um, to, to try and win the bid, what's that process yeah. called? When they're uh, the, the... procurement, right? When they were trying think... to, when they're trying to win that bid to to win yeah. the license to build that next skyscraper, right? Uh, in their budget, in their breakdown, they would have a um, a death count or a death budget. Yeah, it's true. You like uh-huh. say that one more time. Like, yeah. Right. So you not only are you yeah. trying to outbid people on the price right. and the time it's going to take you to construct a 72 right. freaking floor building that twists halfway right. up and then leans mm-hmm. over at the top. But you're right. also saying, and we're only going to have 13 deaths on site. Guaranteed. <laughs> like it's what? a race to the bottom. It's so- disgusting. 
it's it's terrifying i had um one of my really good friends in dubai was a you know structural engineer he was working in abu dhabi and he got recruited by an australian company and went over to saudi for a while it was only a couple months that he was there and he came back i'll never forget he came back to dubai they you know the whatever this australian company was some one of these construction contractors, they had like tripled his salary and, and he was already making a lot of money. So they recruited him to come over and he quit. He was the project manager and he quit mid build and came back to Abu Dhabi. And I was like, well, what happened? He was like, the building fell over and no one cared. Oh my God. Like, I can't do it. I'm a structural engineer. Like, yeah. They're going to kill people. And this is not the 15 people, you know, written off in the contract. This is once the building is up and functioning, is how long is it going to stand? Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the solution. I mean, there's a lot of solutions to that, but I don't know that anyone cares about them, which is terrifying. That, that's fear engineering, right? That That's fear yeah. architecture. Um, it is because all of the incentives are misaligned yes and safe talked about this before like you, in, in fact azerbaijan watching that grand prix is a perfect example because they buzz through the old town which is just amazing and then they buzz through all the skyscrapers right. and you're like yeah and singapore same thing in fact formula one is probably like that's the red flag for yeah there's a world free economic trade zone or something there's some yes really dodgy shit going on although yeah. miami did make it last year so who knows what's going on there <laughs> what uh i know but he was shilling miami coin for a little while so you, you never know if you managed to pump that high enough right um but yeah it's um so you're sitting there and right foreign direct investment uh right i i mean you can tell us uh you've outed the company you feel obviously comfortable doing I, that i have not said the name of the company um it is i mean it's on my linkedin i have not deleted oh the, okay i thought fdi the, was the name of the company foreign direct investment no, i thought that was okay so fdi is okay. just the industry as a whole right which I mean, you make a good point that most people have no idea that this is even an industry that exists. No, but I have no clue. So let's let's do that. Yeah. What the hell then is right. foreign direct investment? Because right. FDI just sounds like a company, right? A I was company. direct yeah. global marketing of FDI. Like yeah. Right. Okay. Seems legit. I I've never even thought about that. But yeah. yeah. So it was there is a specific company that I worked for. Um and there's a handful of similar players and they all offer similar services and they all do the same thing. Um, but what they are doing is facilitating foreign direct investment, which is just basically state level, well, sovereign, you know, country level economic development. And so there's trillions of dollars a year that get moved through foreign direct investment. And it's really just the investment in a company or an industry or a local economic zone from one country to another. It's that simple. Um, 
of course, in reality is extremely complex, but this is essentially how all of the money is moved throughout the world. Um, and, you know, I think the best way to understand it is to look at local economic development zones. You know, you have a county or a city planner or whatever. And I think there's, you know, the purpose in that is really obvious, but like with anything, the, the more power that gets involved and the higher the centralization goes, the more corruption there is and the more sort of fiat nonsense that happens. So if you take like a local city council and bring that up to state level and then country level, that's what's happening. Um, and they're controlling everything that's happening. And one of the major tools that they use are the free zones, but ultimately, you know, I mean, they're doing trade all kinds of ways. You've got the, the construction companies that are doing international bids and there's a whole cohort of them. And, um, you know, they don't work in FDI. Technically, they just are major international construction companies. Um, but they're sort of part of the ecosystem. So, so no, FDI is an industry that really nobody knows exists. And it's the peak of the fiat corruption. And I, I have to be honest, I didn't even, like, if somebody had said fiat to me back then, like, maybe I knew what it meant, but I wasn't running around and screaming about it all the time. Like, I think Bitcoiners and people in Bitcoin, you know, there's a really large divide between people that understand everything that's happening and people that just have no clue. And sometimes it's intentional, but sometimes it's not, you know, the, like you said, the, I mean, the incentives are all wrong and you, you get offered a great job. You get offered all of this money. I had an unchecked expense account, you know, I mean, how do you say no to these things? Um, it just so happens that I met, I was at the right, you know, it, the right time and place that I ended up at the very, very top and seeing the things that I saw. But I think about it a lot if I had not been brought in where I was brought in and I was sort of somewhere in the middle where most people are. Would I have noticed? Would I have cared? Would I, I? I wouldn't have known what was happening. It was really only because I was invited to these conferences. I've seen the same people over and over. I'm, you know, I'm in Bogota, Colombia, and there's some guy like, oh yeah, I saw you at MIPM in Cannes, France, three months ago, and your brain just sort of starts to go like, why are the same people at all of these conferences? Like, why aren't they? in their country with doing their business, doing the things that are good for the people around them. It's because that's not part of the structure of the system in any way. The structure is designed for everyone to move up and for the dollars to grow and for the contracts to be bigger every year and for the free zones to have more deals each year because that's how they attract more right they get the biggest numbers they attract the largest investments they brag about those investments they get more numbers and it, it's a never-ending but was that your role 
like as global marketing director is that what you were plugged into doing but give us your day-to-day so i i was traveling 300 days a year there was not a lot of day-to-day um i part of what i did was deliver awards Mm -hmm. that were granted to cities and states and countries um, for backroom reasons. But then you go and you deliver, you know, economic development awards. And then those awards are used to leverage investment by multinationals. So in that in that role, I was really just a figurehead. They sent me, you know, to deliver an awards, shake somebody's hand, take pictures, and nobody cares what the award is or why it's being given or if there's any value behind it. It's a bragging right to get them their next deal. Um, so I did that, and I also went to all of these conferences. Um, I never went to the World Economic Forum, but all of these conferences that I was attending wanted to be the World Economic Forum. And, you know, I'll never forget there there is actually a World Forum for Foreign Direct Investment. So it's like the B-level players. It's like the World Economic Forum for the B-level guys. And I was talking, the event planner for that event was an American who I became friends with. And she's the one that really hammered into me, like, well, we're trying to be the World Economic Forum. Like, we want to be the most important event after the world. Like, we can't be the World Economic Forum, but we're going to be the most important event besides them. So I'm, you know, on my phone again, like, World Economic Forum, like, oh, that's in Davos. Got it. Like, that's that meeting that you always hear about. Um So I attended those conferences and part of my role was just managing the involvement of the company that I was working for. So, you know, doing the branding and the vendor management. I wasn't managing vendors, but working with the event planners and just managing the full scale of like our involvement in the conferences, making sure that the the right people ended up, you know, on the right, in the right offices, in between panels that were happening to meet with the right people, you know, go get this guy and this country wants to meet with these people, go get them. Um, So doing a lot of that. And then I, because of the time that I'd spent in Dubai, I sort of ended up in a project management role with one of the largest, the largest contract that we had at the time we ended up in a you know multi-million dollar contract with one of the largest land developers in china this was about five years before evergrand Mm -hmm. um and so that became a really large piece of my job was managing that contract um so i was traveling all over the world going to these conferences and then also taking conference calls like 12 hours a day with people in China as we tried to put together this deal. Um, so CFLD is the second largest 
land developer in China. And they were involved in the Evergrande thing, um, which of course, you know, you I was gonna say you couldn't have predicted, but I just, I don't know if you saw, I just posted some of the pictures that I had from one of the trips that we took to Beijing. Um, so that's a long way to say, you know, as the marketing director, they're really just leveraging me with a big title in the best way that they can. I didn't have a really specifically de designed or uh, like flushed out role. I just went where they wanted someone with an important title. And I hate to say, but, you know, I just sort of did what I was told to do. I mean, what else did you do? Like, yeah, exactly. Um, the, uh, we've <clears throat> so many of us uh, have been there myself included you know 18 yeah. years in foreign exchange markets <laughs> you yeah. know like you you couldn't have been much closer to the uh the spigot of money if you tried and rent seeking right. at the same time <laughs> yeah i mean with, without even knowing what the word fiat meant uh, and i was supposed right. to be I, I worked with money all day long 10 11 hours a day right. yeah. no clue Absolutely yes. no clue. But you're just part of this great big whirlwind of a machine that is demanding right. so much of your time and your energy right. and your effort uh, that you right. don't have a second to think. And you are you've, you always have that target on your back. If you do not perform, by the way, yeah. you're gone. And then all right. of this goes away. Like your right. unchecked and then, expense and then what account. Was yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, not only it's do you lose it, track. but it's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought, you know, I was negotiating this deal in China and I'm like, this is going to be the biggest thing that's ever been on my resume. I mean, I'm, you know, negotiating a $20 million deal with one of the largest land developers in all of China. Like we were flying into Beijing and taking helicopter tours over developments and landing in entire cities that they had modeled out you know and they would show us like here's one street that's built out and you're like but there's no one living there <laughs> and then you would go to the like the model structure and they've got all of these grand plans and they were claiming some really wild stuff i mean you know like oh this development is at 40 percent occupancy and they're like we just landed a helicopter in the street there's nobody here there's nobody anywhere and everybody just pretended like yeah you know because my company wants the deal because we get a cut of all the money that's out there and they you know they want the deal because they get the bragging rights and they get like, access to all the data that comes from the work that, and research that we were doing in fdi um, and yeah, you're just, you're working, you know, from 6am to midnight and you don't have time to question it. And like I said before, I think it was because I got in just by chance at such a high level and had the opportunity to see how much of it was such a lie is really the only reason that mm -hmm. I saw it as quickly as I did and kind of came to this point where I never questioned it. I haven't really spoken about it publicly, but 
there was no question in my mind for a long time, you know, the headlines about Evergrande started coming out. And I was like, oh, yeah, that all makes perfect sense. Like, there was no one living in any of those developments that we toured. So, yes, they're ghost cities. Um, and that's just one example. But I think there, there are others. I think there's going to be a lot of collapses that will grow in, you know, they're kind of growing in scale and frequency. So it's not looking good for the fiat world. It really isn't. It's a house of cards built on yes. absolutely, you know, the, the, nothing, just right. sand. Uh, in yeah. and it's all just collapse and crumble and get blown to the yeah. floor. Do you remember then those those articles that are coming through your email? Uh, those tipping points in your in your thinking, like uh, where all of a sudden the the sats started dropping, and you're like, wait a minute. Yes and no. Um, I think like many people, I understood the technology first. Um, and this was, you know, before Ethereum split and then Bitcoin had the fork wars. And I, I, re I got in looking at the halving that was coming up and for some reason that just made the most sense to me that the way that that well first of all of course that there's nobody involved there's nobody in control of this you know i've worked in marketing for many years i understand the power of branding and how it's all kind of bullshit and it's all just a race for attention so the fact that there was no nobody right there's no marketing department, which Twitter likes to talk about, there's no marketing department for Bitcoin. Um, that was really easy for me to understand. And then, you know, the tech side of it and the fact that it was mathematically engineered to sort of grow at a specified rate. Um, I think I understood that very quickly. And of course you never stop you know you don't ever understand all of it and so I'm still learning about more and more things but I think that for me was the biggest like factor and how then so when when was your first bitcoin conference last year in, in twenty in Miami in twenty twenty two yeah and I went and I like didn't know anybody and I was on Twitter and honestly I was like walking around like okay so there's really like a lot to this <laughs> so I was gonna ask how did that compare to because you've done a thousand conferences all over the world mm -hmm. and and walking into right. this one what was the like the like that powerful difference that 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 feeling that you left with after those two or three days. It, it was, you know, night and day, as you can imagine. Um, I think the honesty and integrity of everybody that was involved, like, you know, you go to China and you walk through a city that literally no one lives in, and then you sit in a boardroom and you talk about we're going to value this city at this number because it's at this percent occupancy and we're going to grow at this rate and all that shit. And it's all a lie. And no one says anything because everybody wants the money that's there. 
And you contrast that with just the honesty of everybody, you know, everybody that I meet in Bitcoin is an honest person and calls it like they see it and is not afraid to talk about what's really going on in the world. You know, COVID, we were in Florida. Um, so people being honest and then also the excitement for the future is really was very exciting to me because, you know, I was not very hopeful about the future prior to getting (laughs) more heavily involved into Bitcoin because it's like, you know, like you said, there's no, the incentives are all wrong and there's, there's no stopping the growth and it's. So did you, do you just went completely alone or you tried a friend? Really? Okay. That's amazing. I mean, I, you know, I traveled for years by myself. So like, right. I only live a couple hours from Miami. I just drove down and was like, let me see what's happening here. Um, We just like putting plebs aside. Like, so like, Hey, do you want to talk about some Bitcoin? Like, like right now, (laughs) Hanging at the so volcano bar, people, <laughs> right? To talk about Bitcoin with, and uh, and everybody was just so nice. You know, I was used to being at these stuffy conferences, and I mean, I worked in tech. I just wore jeans and a t-shirt for most of my life, and then I'm at all these conferences, and I have to wear a suit, and everybody's in a suit, and everybody's lying about everything, and everybody's like worried about who's the most important room in the room, and you know who has final say, and we have to have drinks with this person. And there just is none of that in Bitcoin. You know, there's none of it. Um, You take all of the fiat nonsense and throw it out the window. What you have left are a few honest people who are good people. And so I was pretty excited about that. The reason I like asking these questions is because, uh, you know, the idea of this social layer of Bitcoin that was so stifled for like that two-year period where any of us were right. locked down. Still, to this day, as a European, we cannot enter the United States unless we have a certain certificate that says we, we, we may or may not have had some kind of uh, toxic liquids right. injected into our body. I mean, there are ways this around really it. This really bothers me. That the fact that you have to go and look for those ways around it is just absolutely, completely and utterly uh, I mean, it's inhumane. It's it's it really in- is unconstitutional. It's call it whatever you want. It's, right. It's uh, discriminatory. It you know it, it's incredible. But that's still in place. Um, I know. I know. I it really hits me in the gut every time I hear that. Mm-hmm. So when 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 people hear me talk about uh, Orange Pill app, for example, yeah, uh, you know, full disclosure, yes, I do sit on the board. But the only reason is because I. <laughs> I suffered so badly in that two yeah. years or so when we were all locked down um, and I had the podcast running and I was still struggling, right. but I was still connected with Bitcoiners every day, at least on a Zoom call. Right. But when everything opened up and I could get out there and actually meet people in real life and be in physical space, yeah. in, in meat space, that is something... It, you can't put words on it. It just it still no, puts goosebumps uh, on right. on your skin when you think about um, some of the conferences that you've been to, or some of the meetups, or whatever it is that you've managed to go and right. meet actual other Bitcoiners and sit right. down, or even stand in a corridor. It's like shit. We've been stood here talking for three hours. <laughs> like, right. 
I'm gasping for a drink. Like, let's go. So, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's go somewhere else. But let's not stop talking. Like, it's unbelievable. Right. You've never had that it, ever in your life. Right. Ever. I have. I have not either. No. And I. And that's you know that is now my favorite part. I mean, mm-hmm. meeting other people that are in Bitcoin and and I think you know everybody that is that involved in the ecosystem. There's an alignment of values and there's an honesty about what they're doing and whatever that may be. Um, and hope for the future, which is also something that's just doesn't even exist outside. I mean, I don't see it almost anywhere outside of Bitcoin. Like it's pretty dim. And in in instant respect uh, for that other person, and the yeah, um, the respect to give them the time to explain their point of view whatever it is and and it doesn't matter right. you know if one person from x religion meets one person from y religion or one political party or the, you know whatever whatever it is they will stand and listen to each other because bitcoin is the thing that binds them right whereas if you're just a normie at a normie conference and you see yeah. that guy over there like you know you just don't like the color of the tie he's wearing you, you judge him right. instantly not going to yeah. talk with that guy. Fuck that guy. He's wearing the green tie. I can't believe he's worn that again. And like, you know, I will not get right. talked to him again. I'm not right. going to get stuck at the bar with him a third conference in a row. Like, right. It's completely it's true. Bad. Absolutely true. And yes, it's, it's absolutely, it's very different. Um, and so I am super excited about the social layer. And I think the social layer leads to, you know, obviously to developments in other areas mm-hmm. and other synergies. And, you know, I mean. So are you doing there's... your thing now? Are you doing marketing for, for Bitcoin companies? Have you managed to to plug in to that ecosystem? What What's the, the next I'm, step for you? I'm working on it. So it's, uh, I'm still working through, you know, it's a, it's a catch 22 because ultimately for marketing to work, you have to get people's attention and attention is like the ultimate fiat thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm working through like what I can do to help. I have a lot of experience branding and I've worked with a couple of companies from a branding perspective, which is sort of a niche within marketing, but I think is super important. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out how that fits in, how, we can market things, you know, to people that need them and want them mm-hmm. and have the ability to pay for them, which is the opposite of, you know, fiat marketing where you're selling things that people don't need or want and they're buying them with money that they don't have. So it's a tough, it's it a turns tough marketing thing on its head, right? It, 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 yeah, that, it, that's what it Bitcoin does. does. Everything you've right. learned. Up until this point about marketing, yeah. mm, right. Seth Godin is probably the closest person to it that I could imagine. That you know, how he's not understood Bitcoin, I'll never know because he's talked about micro streaming payments for God knows how long. Maybe he, yeah. Seth, I know you listen. You know, <laughs> shoot me a DM. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> Hit me up on my Vita page, Seth. Have you seen what Vita are doing? That uh, <laughs> this is completely and utterly, um, you know turning everything else upside down, which is what Bitcoin does, everything it touches. So 
I, look, there, there are going to be very um, interesting roles coming your way from Bitcoin-only companies that are going to need the yeah. help. Because at the end of the day, yeah. a company needs a help getting its product out to people. You, you, you know, you're right. not necessarily marketing Bitcoin per se, but the, and that's the beautiful thing about marketing is, you know, when you truly believe in the product, you're not selling. Yeah. Right. You know? You, yeah. I've, I've sort of been marketing Bitcoin and, you know, last year when we were hitting all time highs, I was doing a lot of education. Just everybody that I knew was calling me and asking me and mm-hmm. as was everyone else in Bitcoin, you know, I'm just teaching everyone how to buy Bitcoin and put it in cold storage. Here's how it works. And here's, you know, read this and read this. And um, so I have been doing a lot of education instead of marketing, but. um, How how far away in your mind do you think the companies in this foreign direct investment world are from either one, even understanding, looking at or investing or accepting investments or commissions in Bitcoin. Is that something that's ever been on the table? I know you said a few people at conferences might have been whispering in the corner. They could have been individuals or they could have been people. Right. Okay. They were individuals. Right. I have a hard time with this because I think that they're completely incompatible with um, doing anything honestly, you know, not, you know, they're fractionally reserving the money, but they're also fractionally reserving the business like they're you know they're taking awards that are fake in the first place and they're mm-hmm. using those to brag to these people to get this business it, like it's all a house of cards um and so i don't know how that survives in an honest ecosystem i think not to promote any shit coins but I think that there are some massive investments in a couple of shit coins out there and that they're going to adopt those and leverage mm-hmm. the centralized control within those coins right. um, and that we see probably parallel economies. And I know a lot of people disagree with that um, and I am happy to be proven wrong, but I had imagine you are hundred percent right. You know, because of their fiat mindset, the first thing that they're going to be drawn towards, if it's uh, an alternative investment, they're going to go to crypto straight away. They they won't go to Bitcoin because they'll they'll get bamboozled by all the shiny lights and the guy that's paid a million dollars to go around to three hundred conferences a year and just spout on at the bar about how great this thing is. Whereas like, yeah, no one's doing that for Bitcoin. That's the dude in the corner. That just owns yeah. a couple and is like, hmm. Mm. And yeah. and it, you know, that is already happening. I mean, if you look at what was going on at the World Economic Forum last year, I mean, there was all kinds of shit coin mm-hmm. stuff happening. Pavilions being built and meetings and you oh. know, there's all kinds of excitement going on over there. Um and 
I think a lot of people are hopeful that a lot of that is going to get washed out with all the crashes that we've had. I'm not quite as optimistic. I think, you know, if you look back historically, there's been a lot of rebel through each cycle. And I think that there will just be more. And it's just mm-hmm. a matter of who's caught up in it. What's um, the next grift? Oh, yeah. we've had so many this cycle. I've lost yeah. count. Yeah. I mean, it started um, with again, DeFi. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but you know, yeah. there's there's too many people out there that just have no idea yet about any of it. And so as long as there are people to be taken advantage of, they're gonna get taken advantage of. And we forget as well in the Bitcoin space just how much money is just sloshing around out there. And like yeah. we have I think it's something to the tune of $6 trillion per day is settled just in foreign exchange uh, daily. I mean, come on, guys. We haven't even talked about the bond market or the equity market yet. or We haven't even talked about real estate market, gold, precious metal markets. This is is absolutely retarded amounts of money. And then with foreign investments and whatever else is being pumped into the... The um the, the the global economic sphere by the IMF or the World Bank, it right. is astronomical amounts of money that are being yeah. passed around. Um, right, and like, I do think we're going to capture a percentage of that, you know, and so number go up infinitely. But do I think that there will be an honest and structured uh implementation no not really there's not going to be no, a, a no, michael there's, no there's not going to be a michael saylor approach in the uh the front direct investment no. world <laughs> no absolutely not no. All I, right. you know, I i'm much more of you know will they ban bitcoin in the ep- economic free zones where you know nothing is banned mm-hmm. probably oh that'll be interesting to I see. i mean it's just a thought but yeah you know, I, I think there's a chance that that fight is coming. That'll be very interesting to see. Yeah. Well, Michelle, I always end it uh, the same way and uh, with one question. And uh, that question is, if you had one last orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? My father. Yes. Because, so he's an engineer and I've got him like 80 to 90% of the way there. Um, But I can't get him the whole way there and it just feels like such a failure on my part. <laughs> you, you're clearly not a very good marketer, Michelle. <laughs> I know, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. <laughs> I, got him, I got him set up and he bought a little and he understands the concept of, you know, holding his own keys and holding it. And he understands most of it. Um, but I think I can't get him the whole way there because he's not ready to accept the the severity with which it's necessary. Um, so unfortunately, I think that's probably going to show up. Damn. And well, I have, I have the, I have the same struggles. 
don't worry. You know, <laughs> you'd think uh, ha having hosted over 300 episodes and, and spoken to pretty much everybody in the space that, uh, yeah, the old man might right. have uh, listened right. to a few of them. <laughs> yeah, Dad, if you're listening, yeah, buy a couple Bitcoin. Are you going to bring him along to the conference, or is that something he would not even consider? I don't. I don't know if he would consider that. Um, if maybe if they get a really good golf tournament going on. Mm. So if anybody is hosting a golf tournament in Miami, let me know, and I'll right. bring my father. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Andre Loja, who I've spoken to. <laughs> about hosting a golf competition in Madeira because the uh, the golf course in Madeira is looking at accepting Bitcoin. And I'm like, come on, man. Okay. People would fly yeah, in for great. this. They Absolutely. would fly in for this. There are golfers out there. I get a lot of people there. Right. And I'm shouting out John Vallis because I had a conversation with him last night and I told him I've been working the first quarter of this year on a completely new swing. Yeah. I'm redefining it. He's like, oh, golf's so boring. It's so boring, man. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, where's the proof of work in golf? I'm like, are you fucking kidding proof of work in golf i have to like, admit yeah. i feel the same way what We're, yeah. we may be organizing a skydive that's kind of more my speed but you guys uh, can go golfing and we'll go skydiving and then we'll go to the conference all right well let, let's put it this way a thousand hours into a swing and you still can't get it right you go get another <laughs> thousand hours there's a lot of proof of work in golf and any golf yeah, knows I, what i'm I, talking I, I'm not going to say there's no proof of work, but it is pretty boring. I'm sorry. It oh, is you, pretty boring. You just ha you just haven't hit that one shot. You haven't felt it. <laughs> That's drawn you no, back but in. Have you ever jumped out of a plane? Uh, a helicopter and it scared the life out of me and I'll never do it again. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> not out of a plane. It's a, Maybe it's, it's a different. a lot more exciting than that one perfect shot. Maybe falling out of a plane is different to falling out of a helicopter, but uh, yeah, it, oh man, my my palms sweat up just thinking about that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, All right, well, how can people reach you if um if they would like to to get in touch? Where to find you? What's the best place? And um, yeah, let let the plebs know that you're you're available to start working for Bitcoin only companies and, and help shill their yeah. product. Yeah, I, uh, I'm almost exclusively on Twitter. I don't even check my email anymore. So you can hit me up on Twitter. Um, I am working on a podcast for people that are not orange pills. A lot of the people that I know that, you know, I worked with in the tech startup space and went to school with. And that is um, BTC with MKW. And then my my handle is just my name, Michelle Weekly. And there's an extra E in there. So it's L-E-Y. So I spend most of my time there. And if anybody needs any help, they're welcome to reach out. All right. Well, it's great to have you on our side as part of the it's front line. It's great to here. be here. <laughs> it was amazing. Like I said, it was amazing to see that tweet come out of nowhere. Uh it's a very underrated tweet. Um, hopefully, once we drop Thank this, you. a few more people will uh, will reach out and um, you know get in touch. So, thanks right. for everything you're doing for Bitcoin. Thank you for starting your podcast. We need more, and uh, yeah. I hope. Well, I know I will meet you in uh, Miami. Uh, come on, yes, find absolutely. Come on, find us at the booth. I won't be there the whole time. I'm going to be helping out okay. in other areas, but uh, my daughters will be. Okay. And uh, they'd be more than happy to to hang out with you and and learn from All you. All right. 
My oldest daughter. I will daughter definitely in particular, come say hi to them. Okay. How old is she? She's 17. Okay. Uh, and she's, um, yeah, bright eyed and bushy tailed. She would love to hear your stories yeah. of Dubai. And maybe you can uh, uh, black pill her and keep her away from any kind of fiat jobs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could do that for you. <laughs> Good. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, it was really uh, great to talk to you. I will definitely see you in Miami. Thank you so much. Take care and speak soon. You're welcome. You too. Have a good night. Bye. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that episode with Michelle. And as you can tell, I am way behind on releasing these episodes. The first quarter of this year has been incredible with regards to content being lined up. So many plebs out there, so little time. And we're growing every day. And as you can um, see... From Michelle's story here, everybody's got an incredible story to tell. How are you sharing your story? What is the way that you are reaching your community or connecting with people? And we talked about Orange Pill App a little bit here at the beginning. Um, that's the best way right now. It's the, it's the only game in town to find that signal. I'm not saying it's 100% ready for perhaps you. Maybe you're going to download it, take a look, and there's nobody near you. Or maybe you can download it and realize, shit, there's two Bitcoin meetups within a 50-mile radius of me and I had no idea. Or there's a Bitcoin that lives in my town and I have no idea. And we get stories like this all of the time. This is happening. And uh, it is definitely something so powerful when you get to go and meet people that you can be yourself around and conspire with to build businesses or projects, whatever that may be. So building out the social layer of Bitcoin is a big thing. That's what the BTC Prague guys were trying to do. They were trying to bring the disparate Bitcoin communities together. So we had them all there from the UK, from Germany, from Spain, from Italy, from Belgium, from Holland. Obviously those that already live in the Czech Republic and the surrounding countries there. And it's just going to work keep coming together, keep building, get yourself across to a conference uh, in Riga, Latvia, 3rd of September. Get over to the link in the show notes, use the code BITTEN, get 10% off your dis, uh, your tickets to the uh, the Baltic Honey Badger Conference put on by Hoddle Hoddle. And get across to Liberty Now Lifetime as well, the Free Cities Foundation are putting on a conference middle of October. That's in Prague again, and you can use the code BITTEN to get a 10% discount off of that too. Keep stacking your sats. Use SWAN if you're in the US. Use Relay if you're in the UK. They're apps. You can just download them. You can use the code BITTEN on each of those, or just hit the link in the show notes if that's easier for you, and get stacking away. Use their private services if you need to. Onboard merchants wherever and whenever you can. That is growing as well. Nathan Day gave a great talk in Prague about BTC Map and how that is growing and how you can find the uh, the merchants that are accepting Bitcoin when you head to a new town. They're also integrating with Orange Pill App as well, which is great to see. If you've got an event, list that. List that for free on Orange Pill App because that's where the signal is. Uh, Coin Corner, based in the UK, just had an exchange with Danny uh, on Telegram, you might think they've gone quiet. They're not. They're building. They've got some great stuff coming up. So coincorner.com is the place to go if you're in the UK. 
Uh, services in the UK really struggling at the moment, but Coin Corner are going from strength to strength. So head over to Coin Corner, link in the show notes, and you'll get a free £10 worth of Bitcoin uh, with the first £100 purchase. Hoddle, Hoddle is the place to go for KYC free sats. That's a global trading peer to peer platform. Anna was on stage at BTC Prague with uh, a panel talking about privacy. That was also great to see. And Hoddle Hoddle, like I've said before, are already throwing the uh, the Baltic Honey Badger again. It's it's the crown into jewel for many Bitcoiners from around the world to get across to that one. So use the code BIT and get you 10% discount off. And check out their peer-to-peer lending platform as well. Head over to the website, find the educational content right there. Same with Wasabi. Head over to wasabiwallet.io Get yourself familiar with CoinJoin. Use their educational tools. Do your own research. Play around with it. It's free to download. Run a few Satoshis through it. See how you feel. And start that journey if you are interested in uh, using more privacy tools. Then, of course, pure ownership. You need a Bitbox O2. If you do not have a hardware wallet, you do not own Bitcoin. It's plain and simple. Step up. Get yourself a device. You can hit the link in the show notes. It is now bitbox.swiss forward slash bitten and use the code bitten to get yourself a 5% discount. Head over to mempool.space to up your education and visualize Bitcoin and help people you're trying to orange pill by using their educational tools as well. That is mempool.space. Thank you as always for listening guys and I'll catch you on the next show.